Well, we have been in the book of Ephesians for nearly three months now, and we are coming to the practical application of this letter that Paul has written to the church of Ephesus. And uh, as we've uh, mentioned earlier, that uh, Paul has been focused on doctrine in the first three chapters. Uh, all that God has done in our lives. And just as a uh, point of review, before we read chapter 4 this morning, um, let me just review all that Christ, all that the Father has done for us through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul in chapter 1 wants us to know, wants the church of Ephesus to know, that uh, we have been chosen in him. God chose us, made us his own before the foundation of the world. He knew your name. He knew when you were going to be born. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. Not only that, but in choosing you, he made you before you were born already holy and blameless, Paul says. He has predestined us to adoption. We are, we're, we're his children. Um, he has redeemed us. He's bought us out of slavery through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He did this before you were born. Not only has he redeemed us, but he has forgiven us. He's poured out his grace upon our lives lavishly through the the Holy Spirit. He's revealed to us the mystery that was hidden uh, before Christ. And this mystery we've looked at, the fact that that, that God has brought the Jew and Gentile together into one body, one new man that he has called the church. He's, he's shown that to Paul. Paul has revealed it to us. Uh, we've been given an, uh, an inheritance uh, that is never going to um, fade away. And uh, we are guaranteed that inheritance through the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed with the with the person of the Holy Spirit, that, that the Holy Spirit will never leave you. He's, we have him um, until we receive our inheritance in heaven for eternity. We're made, we've been made alive, Paul says in Ephesians chapter uh, 3. We were dead in Christ. Or Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead. We were without hope. And God came down and chose us, gave us life in Christ. This was not something that we could do on our own. This was purely the grace of God. We have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We have nothing to boast about. Nothing. It's all what God has done in our life. It's by our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And uh, through this, we have hope. We were once without hope. Now we have hope. We've been brought near to to Christ. Um, Again, Jews and Gentiles have been made one. And... uh, as we've been going through the first three chapters, and we looked at this last week, Paul's praying, Paul's praying that we know these things, that we don't just know these things in our minds. Now, it's important that we know these things in our minds, but that we experience the love of Christ in such a way that penetrates our hearts. Uh, We experience God's love. We experience God's presence that Paul says surpasses 
knowledge. You know, for us Baptists, we're big on knowledge. You know, we, and it's important that we know the scripture. But Paul wants us to experience the person of Christ, to, to know his love, to uh, be overwhelmed by his love. And I, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen. Uh, watch last week's message. I, I was looking on uh, Facebook, and uh, we have over 200 views of last Sunday's message. And so that's, that's a lot compared to most Sundays. And so it's, it's struck a chord. But Paul has been, is praying that you and I know these things, that it is a, it's a love and, um, it's an, it's an experience that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to experience it. And I think there's a hunger in our nation today to experience the presence and the love of Christ. Um, I don't know if you've been uh, paying attention to a revival. They're calling it a revival um, in Asbury, Asbury uh, University. It's in Wilmore, Kentucky. And uh, it started started around February 5th, and uh, it was nothing special. It started after a chapel service. Uh, they had concluded the chapel service, and some students wanted to continue to, to hang around and to pray. They felt like God was moving in their hearts, and so they continued their their time of worship and prayer. And then the president of the university made an announcement that uh, students were continuing to gather uh, in the chapel and invited other students to come. And uh, students came. And uh, and that time of worship didn't stop. It went on. It's gone on for... um, up until now, so I believe it started on February 5th, but for 20, you know, 24-7 from February 5th to today has been continuous worship and praise and prayer and the preaching of the word. Now, uh, reports are told that uh, people are waiting in line for over two hours to get inside the chapel to uh, be a part of this uh, work time of worship. Uh, this this worship has expanded to other uh, Christian campuses um, in in the South right now. And so I don't know where this is going to go. I'm I'm hopeful that it is going to be uh, an awakening. Our country needs an awakening. Our country needs revival. But it's not something that man can orchestrate. Man can't make that happen. It's only the Spirit of God. And that's what's taken place in Asbury. I mean, there is nothing shiny about um, this this uh, worship service that's taking place. It's There's no... There's no fog machines. There's no lights that will blind you or anything like this. The worship is very simple, and it's the reading of the word, and it's praying and just trust, believing that God is going to do something amazing. And so hearts are being broken. People are repenting. People are coming to Christ. And I hope this is real. And I hope it continues, and I hope it spreads all the way out here to the West Coast, even to Ridgecrest, California, and Emmanuel Baptist Church. God can bring revival, but it's only God that can bring revival. And for revival to happen, church, guess what? There's got to be a brokenness over our sin that 
that we need to repent and turn our hearts and lives to the living God. And I think our country, I think many, many people, based on what's happening at Asbury right now, they are hungry for this. And Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, is praying that we would experience the love of God that is higher and deeper and wider and longer than anything you or I could ever imagine. And this knowledge of the love of God needs, it needs to surpass our knowledge and that we experience Him in our hearts. And so we've, we've looked at that. We've looked at Paul's prayer. And knowing all these things, now we come to conduct. Okay? We've focused on doctrine. And doctrine dictates our conduct and how we are to behave. And it needs to happen in that order. We need to know the truth, the reality of all that God has done. And in knowing this, then guess what? We want to live our lives for him. We want to worship him. We want to come to church. Not that you have to come to church, but know in loving, knowing the love of Christ and what he's done, we want to be here. I mean, you know what? There should be a line out the door wanting to come into this place. Not to listen to Bill Logan. You know, Bill Logan is just a, a normal man. No, people ought to want to come to this place because the presence of God is here. And we want to worship him corporately and hear what he has to say to us. And so let's look at Paul Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 6 ch- verses, but I'm going to let you off the hook this morning. We're going to get get through all 6 verses, okay? We're just going to get through one and a half maybe this morning and uh, we'll pick it up again next week. But let's look at the first 6 verses. I therefore A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs uh, to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, I I pray this morning as... um, Lord, again, as we look at your word, that we would walk worthy. Worthy of the calling that you have called us to. God, we thank you for your call upon our life. We know in walking through Ephesians that we could not save ourselves. Lord, you called us to yourself before we were ever even born. This is a high calling. This is a holy calling. And Paul Paul is begging us, he's imploring us that we walk worthy to the calling that you've called us to. So, Lord... Open our hearts. Help us to see, Lord, where 
we need to repent, where we need to change and be more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, urge you to walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is imploring. Paul is begging us that we walk worthy. Now this word worthy in verse 1 um, is the word axios, and it means equivalent, okay? That our walk be equivalent to what Christ, what God has done internally, spiritually, invisibly in our hearts already. That what he's done uh, spiritually on the inside will reflect on the outside um, our walk and how we live our lives. And so this behavior now, as we look at the next three chapters, Paul's praying, imploring us that it match what we believe on the inside, what we know to be true of what God has done for us on the inside. So belief, as I said earlier, determines behavior. So doctrine is really important, church. Doctrine is not important. I mean not important. Doctrine is not boring. And we need to know what God has already done. And based on what we know God has done, now we begin to live our lives for him the way he wants us to live, to walk worthy, worthy of the calling. Why? Why do we need to have this this worthy walk? Well, to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Verse 3, that we be eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit of the bond of peace. Church, member of Emmanuel, you have a responsibility to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. We don't create the the unity, okay? The unity has already been created through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, But we have a responsibility, I have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to preserve the unity that the Spirit has already created. And how we do that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. But we walk worthy to maintain the unity. Now, unity, that can be a very thorny issue. Okay, uh, throughout church history, the church hasn't always been unified. In fact, sometimes the church has had div- divide. Sometimes division is necessary. Unity is not to be maintained at any price. Okay. Um, We cannot maintain unity and sacrifice truth. And there are a lot of Christians today who don't think truth is that important. And it's far more important to be together than to be divided. And I hear a lot right now in our Southern Baptist Convention that we are better together. Well, guess what? We are better together if we are on the same page theologically, okay, in practical application. We're not on that same page right now. I'll get in that in a moment. But over the course of church history, the church has had to divide. And it's been a painful division, but it's been a necessary division. Um, over the deity of Christ. There's 
people who um, did not believe that uh, Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so people had to separate. Denying the authority of God's word. Um, This is very important too, and the church has had to make a decision. Uh, The denial of the Trinity. Not everyone believed that... uh, that God was comprised of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches this. It is very obvious in, in, the, in the Scripture. But um, there are some who did not believe, and so the church has had to divide over that. In our denomination, back in the uh, late 80s, um, there was a division that occurred over biblical inerrancy. As Southern Baptists, we, we believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Not everybody believed that. And so some separated and started a, a different denomination that has now faded away. Okay, uh, The Southern Baptist Convention has continued to prevail. But even today, church, um, the Southern Baptist Convention continues to struggle. And um, come come June, there's going to be a, a very important decision made uh, concerning some churches in our denomination who are ordaining women to the office of pastor and elder. Uh, our denomination has been very clear and very emphatic that when it comes to the office of elder, pastor, that it is reserved for for men only. The scripture is clear in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But we have churches today who are ordaining women as, as pastors in our convention. And so a decision is going to be made. Are we going to continue to allow these churches to cooperate, be a part of our uh, denomination, or are we going to disfellowship them? And if we don't disfellowship them with them, there's going to be a lot of upset uh, pastors of churches um, across our denomination uh, come, come June. I like what Adrian Rogers shared when he was uh, president of our convention uh, back in the 70s and uh, early 80s, he said, uh, he said this, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. Unity is important. Unity in the life of the church is important. But not at any cost. Not at the sacrifice of truth. Uh, truth needs to pre- prevail. And as a church, as Christians, we, we need to do everything we can to maintain uh, the unity of the, of the local of the local body. But uh, unfortunately, unity is a thorny issue in our denomination. And, and, uh, and so there's, there's difficult choices that need to be made. But uh, because churches have sacrificed truth, um, many mainline denominations have gone the way of culture. Uh, they've lost their their saltiness. Uh, they 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 don't believe the gospel anymore. In church, it's so important that we believe and proclaim the gospel. And the gospel is clear that we are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. We need to repent of our sin. And if we just come to a place where well, God just loves everybody. 
and God will just take you right where you're at and you never have to change. You never have to do anything different. He just loves you the way you are. My friends, that is not the gospel. Jesus came, shed his blood on the cross that our sin might be forgiven. And when we understand that, when we appreciate uh, chapter 3, um, God's Christ's love in our life, you know what? It transforms us. It changes our behavior. It changes our conduct when we believe, believe the good news of the gospel. Adrian Rogers also said this, if you take part If you take part of the truth and try to make that part of the truth all of the truth, then that part of the truth becomes untruth. Many pastors want to just focus on the love of God. I appreciate the love of God. I appreciate his grace, what he did for me that I never, ever deserved. I couldn't earn it. That's how amazing God's grace and love is for every one of us. But in knowing that and knowing what Christ has done and what God says, that my sin separates me from God, I've got to be honest. I've got to humble myself and believe what God has said and ask him to forgive me. We can't separ- we can't just focus on one truth. We need to focus on all of who God is. God is holy and just and righteous and judge And if we don't turn from our sin, this God of love is going to become the God of wrath in our life for all eternity and separating us from him. We need to believe all of who God is. And so here we see this this unity. And Paul is urging us and begging us to maintain the unity of the Spirit that the Spirit has created. Now, why is unity a big deal? Well, number one, because Paul is suffering for it. Verse one, Paul says, Therefore I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy. Paul is in prison suffering. Um, because of this call that Jesus has on Paul's life. Paul has conveyed the message that Jew and Gentile are both one. There is a new man. There is a brand new person. There is a new unity, and it's called the body of Christ. And guess what? Jews hate this message. They didn't believe this message. They were God's chosen people. And so when they hear Paul saying these things, it's an affront. It's an abomination. It's it's insulting. And Paul is thrown in prison for what God has revealed to Paul. And so Paul is suffering for it. And so we... We Paul, Paul urges us in verse 3 to maintain, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit because, number one, Paul is suffering because of this unity. Number two, why unity is a big deal? 
Because Christ died to create it, to create the one new man, the body of Christ. He paid for it for his, with his own life. Christ loved the church so much that he died for the church. We are the bride of Christ. Christ gave his life for the church. The church is important to Christ. And so the church ought to be important to us as well. We ought to be here every single weekend. If we're in town, we should be in church. Now, we do this on Facebook because we know some people are unable to be in church. They long to be in church. But due to their circumstances, they can't. And we pray for you. And we miss you here. But the church is critical to the heart of God, to the heart of Jesus Christ. Christ died for the church. We need to take the church seriously. We are his bride. You know, if someone were to criticize my bride, my wife, I would be very offended because we are one. She loves me. I love her. A lot of people criticize the church today. Folks, we ought to be defending the church. We are the bride of Christ. This is Christ's bride. And so unity is a big deal. Paul is suffering for it. Christ died for it. And then number three, uh, unity is a big deal because it demonstrates externally what Christ has done in our lives invisibly. Maintain the unity of the church. I like what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The church is worth suffering for. The church is worth maintaining the unity for. And we need to be walking in a way that will reflect what God has already done in our hearts. Now, how do we do this? Paul shares four qualities. We're only going to look at the first quality this morning. This this morning. And we'll pick up the rest next week. But... um, the, the four qualities in, in verse 2 are this. Humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. You know, and these aren't easy to do. I mean, if, if we were all alike, if we all came from the same backgrounds, and we had the, 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 um, we all liked the same things, um, and you know, we all thought the same, we all acted the same, and we were just all alike. We wouldn't need these qualities. It would be really, I mean, this, these would be part of our lives. But you know, when it comes to the church, we come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Uh, we have different interests, we have different tastes, we think differently. And if we're all going to get along, if we're going to be one big happy family, you know what? It's going to take on all of our parts humility, gentleness, patience, 
and bearing with one another in love. But if you're like me and I'm like you, I don't need those things. We get along great. But you know what? Because we're all different, these character qualities are necessary for the Christian life. Paul is imploring us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. God has saved you. He's done all these things in your life. Now, walk in humility. We're going to look at the first one this morning. Humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. You know, pride is all of our default mode. Um, we default to to pride when um, we're just living our lives in the flesh. You know, when we're not living or acting in humility, it's really easy to protect ourselves, to justify ourselves, and satisfy our fleshly desires. You know, when we're not walking in humility, I'm the most important person in the world. Just ask my wife. You know, the world revolves around me. And unfortunately, oftentimes it does. And that's when I am not living in humility. Um, We take pride in our pride. You know, our culture has set aside a whole month of pride. And it comes around every June. I don't know when this started, but uh, several years ago, we somebody came up with Gay Pride Month. And we take all month to celebrate people's sin. We we look at these these people, and we see look how confident they are, look how brave and courageous. Isn't it isn't it just wonderful that they now want to be themselves and that they can be themselves, and, and we we protect them having the the opportunity of being themselves. And so we celebrate it and we protect it when God says pride is rebellion against him. And this isn't just about the LGBTQ plus 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 community. Okay? We're talking about all pride. All pride is sin. All pride is rebellion against God. But we've seemed to have taken this pride and put it in a different category and say that this is okay. When God says it's an abomination. And you know what? These folks need the gospel just as much as those folks. This folk, we all need to repent of sin. That's what the gospel is all about. And we've got to be true to the gospel. What does the Bible say about pride. Let me just read a few verses this morning. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone 
that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Okay? We're talking about everybody now. We have pride in our life. We're an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 21, 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart is sin. Isaiah 2, verse 11. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of men shall be humbled. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, before transformation can occur in a person's heart and life, there needs to be a brokenness over sin. And that's one of the things that's happening with this revival in Asbury right now. People are repenting of their sin. They're getting right with God. They're confessing their sin to one another. If revival is going to break out, if there's going to be renewal, if there's going to be an awakening, we need to pay attention to what God says about sin and repent. Pride doesn't want to repent. Pride says, I'm good. It's not about me. It's about somebody else. They need to repent. No, we need to draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, work in this circle. Revival starts with me. Proverbs 15:33 says before honor is humility. Proverbs 22:4 says by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. James 4:10 says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, that unless you become like a child and humble yourself, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We must come to him broken. We must come to him poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is humility. This is what it is required, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We all need humility. This is where revival starts. And when when we have humility, it's going to be reflected in how we treat other people. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility... Consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and how he wants us to conduct ourselves, to walk worthy to our calling. I don't know about you, but I don't always get this right. And when it's not right, when I'm living in pride, I'm hard to live with. 
And I think you are too. This humility is to be reflected in the life of our church with one another. This humility is to be reflected in our home and how we treat our spouse and how we treat our our children, uh, how we treat our, our, our employer or employees with humility. Is humility a part of your life? Now, I like what this person said. I don't know who said it, but they said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay? Um, You don't have to just go around believing that you're a doormat, that you're a worthless person, you know, you have nothing to offer. We're not talking about that kind of humility. Listen, you're a child of God. God doesn't think you're junk. God chose you before you ever came on the scene. If he had waited until you came on the scene, he may not have chosen you. But he chose you before you came on the scene. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. It's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. How can you be a blessing to others? What's happening in your neighbor's life? How can you be a blessing to them? Humility is critical in helping preserve the unity of the Spirit that the Spirit has created. And that is the first characteristic of the born-again believer. Next week, we will be looking at gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. But my question to you this morning God's question to you this morning is how are you doing in the area of humility? Is there something you need to repent of? You know, and we're not, we're not talking about um, moralism here. That you trying to do this on your own. How do you develop a heart of humility? Go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Let me just read this again. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, in love, in all that God has shown you of his love, that you may be rooted and grounded in this, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that has surpassed, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. My friend, if you struggle with pride this morning, if you're proud of the things that you know in your heart that are, and that you're convinced of that are contrary to the word of God, Paul says that you are not filled with the fullness of God. And knowing his love, not just here, but here, by experience, his grace humbles us. Will humble me will make me 
a different person will make me more like Christ. That's humility. And you can't manufacture that on your own. This is only the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, working in your life, helping you to see and know, know these things in your heart of hearts. May it happen in the life of Emmanuel Baptist Church. May it happen in other churches in the community of Ridgecrest and in Southern California, the state of California, and go across this nation. May Asbury University and the revival that's been taking place there the last two weeks, may it spread to the state of California in our little community in Ridgecrest. Man can't make it happen. Only God can. But are we hungry for it? Do we know all that God has done for us and how much he loves us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your living word. God, we, we need your living word. Your word says that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts to the very marrow of our hearts and lives. God, only you can quicken us. And yet it's so important that we first meditate baptize ourselves in the in the word of truth appreciating and absorbing believing all God that you've done for us and then may our walk be equal to all that you've done inside of us spiritually invisibly God may it be lived out in the life of our church and in our homes and in our workplace externally because we believe you Lord if there's one here today full of pride and without Christ, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. They know that they need to turn to you. They know that they need to repent. God, may you lavish them with your grace to change. Only what you can change. Thank you, Father, for the gift of humility that comes through the Spirit of Christ. May it be reflected in the life of our church family now and in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.